When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. What's up? This is your boy Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Attention, true crime enthusiast. Searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals, your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We are joined, as always, with our super producer, Paul, Mission Control Deck. And most importantly, you are you, you are here, and that makes this stuff they don't want you to know. Uh, we like to do a check-in at the beginning of the every show nowadays. Right? Feeling good? Feeling great? How are you? Pretty good. Um, not too bad. Not too great. Kind of middle of the road? I don't know. I never feel like I have anything to add at this uh, juncture of the show. I feel like I'm just like a blank slate. Well, I'll give you something. I do it. Finally went to go see a movie after all these years of not seeing movies. I got to see the new Tarantino film. I really wanted to go with you guys. Yeah, once once upon a time in Hollywood. Yeah, I had my daughter, and that's not a kid-friendly film, is it? It is not. No, certainly not. But in this film, there is a small part for a certain Kurt Russell who, you know, shows up in another Tarantino movie. And he has a really interesting connection to today's topic. He does, yes, which will come to the forefront soon. As always, as you listen along, if the spirit so moves you, give us a call and let us know your thoughts. You can reach us directly. We are one eight three three stdwytk And if you are feeling particularly charitable, why not leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice? Do it. <laughs> we we uh, we enjoy it, and every review, uh, every time we get a, a nice review, our our Uber boss. Uh, appears in an obsidian mirror and grants us one more day of life. Yeah, and then he says, now get back out there and give some more ride-sharing stuff because I'm the Uber boss. Yes, exactly, exactly. Today we are diving into a phenomenon that many of our fellow listeners have asked us about over the course of years, years and years and years. This has shown up, and we've looked at it a little bit in the past, but now we are diving face first full into the deep water of the Phoenix Lights. To some people, 
The entire Phoenix Lights phenomenon is a cynical way of grabbing cash and some publicity. And, you know, in some respects, that is true. To others, it's one of the most well-documented UFO sightings in recent history, due primarily to the video footage available, and as well as the thousands of witnesses on the ground and a few in the air at the time. So today's question is, what happened? Where does the truth fall between these two rather divisive views? To answer that, we have to travel back in time. So here are the facts. We have to go back to March 13th, 1997, around 8 p.m., a little bit after that, in Arizona, specifically in Phoenix, Arizona, and the surrounding uh, towns, mostly north of that. Now, on this day, numerous reports, all kinds of residents from all across this area start describing to uh, to police because they're making 911 calls, they're making reports to this all over the place of these mysterious lights that are in the sky. But here's the deal. If you, if you went through and you cataloged every single one of the reports that occurred that night, you were going to hear a lot of different stories about what was actually seen. Some people described seeing this strange V-shaped formation or sometimes it's, they called it a boomerang. Um, and it just looked like you know, like if you were looking at geese as they're migrating or something? A flying V. A flying V, yes. Mm-hmm. Similar to that with six lights, sometimes more, sometimes fewer, usually six or fewer that were actually observed. Mm-hmm. And other people amidst these thousands of witnesses claimed that they saw hovering lights, meaning lights that moved in discrete groups or lights that appeared to fade after they had passed the observers. And again, most of these observers are stationary. They are on the ground. They do not they're, – they're not looking through various instruments. They're watching with the naked eye. So they'll have a hard time guessing the altitude. Yes. Right? We, we see a large range in what how high people believe these things are, right? Yeah. So let's, let, let's trace the events because – We're fortunate in that this happened so recently, 1997. There's a wealth of technology that wasn't available in, say, the 50s or the 30s. According to the National UFO Reporting Center, which is one of the only organizations that keeps an official record of these sightings, uh, they received their first call on their UFO hotline that night from a retired cop in Paulden, Arizona. That's a small town a couple hours north of Phoenix. And then after that initial report – The hotline blew up. People were calling all over the place from locations south of Paulden, and that indicated to the reporting center that the aircraft or the UFO, whatever you want to call it, was heading in a southeastern direction. And some of the specifics from the reports are a little bit different, but USA Today, a few months after the fact, in the summer of 97, reported that they, there were several key observations. Here they are. One, the craft was enormous. Witnesses described it sometimes as a mile wide. Two, it made no noise. And three, it moved slowly over Arizona, often stopping to hover in a single location. And now that is generally with the reports that describe it as one craft, essentially. Yeah. That's flying together and all those lights are just represented attached to that craft. Right, like on its belly, right? Mm-hmm. So now we enter into a tricky situation. Yeah, it's true. According to researcher Tony Ortega, there were actually two separate events on the night of March 13th. Uh, we have the mysterious V in question, that configuration of lights that so many people across the state witnessed that was seen over Prescott at about 8.15 p.m. and then traveled south to Phoenix at about 8.30. Then it passed over Tucson finally at 8.45. That's 200 miles in 30 minutes, which means the V was moving at about 400 miles per hour. And remember what Ben said earlier, these people are generally stationary on the ground and they're observing it going in that direction. So it, you know, where it actually was above, you know, whatever location it was in that time span, give or take, it's give or take, you know, miles. But still, that's a big deal. Well, and this part's wild because you had a huge disparity in whether or not people were seeing it up high or down low, literally. Some early eyewitnesses perceived that it was high in the sky. And then you had others swearing that it was a low-moving, almost a hovercraft, kind of the hovering very low and slow. 
Well, yeah. So, some people described it as being right above their homes as it was going across. And that's been de- depicted over the years as that. Other people have seen it as well above above the mountains even. Mm-hmm. Uh, because there are several large mountains, especially in the Phoenix, Arizona area, um, kind of to the northeast. Mm-hmm. And people were describing it as coming over those. There's a huge mountain I think it's called Squaw Peak, right near the center of Phoenix. And people saw it come right over top of that mountain as well. Anyway, we'll get into more of the specifics later. It's just, just think about how fascinating that would be to actually observe that. Sure. Yeah. And uh, as we'll find, this is not uncommon for the residents of Phoenix, Arizona. Here's the second event that happens. On the same night, March 13th, news of that 8.30 p.m. sighting that you just described, Noel, traveled very quickly. And so more people were outside with video cameras when the second and unrelated event happened at about 10 p.m. in the sky southwest of Phoenix. A string of lights appeared in the heavens and slowly sank until they disappeared behind the nearby Estrella mountain range. So given that there were two different events, one of the big questions is, were people conflating the reports? Did these two separate events happen so closely together in a chronological sense that later people are saying, well, I saw something weird too on the same night? So logically, it's the same thing. I can see that. Yeah, that makes light. Also, that would that would account for the disparity, right? In uh, in height. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, now what? Twenty two years later. Yep. Plus, we are. Are how much has been conflated just historically now at this point mm-hmm. after that initial day of reporting? It's weird, and we'll see that mainstream media had a an unusual role to play in this. But let's see what Uncle Sam said. Initially, lots of people freaked out. They contacted military bases in Arizona, and they said, all right, what's what's going on? What's all the hubbub, bub? And the military bases, every single one said, oh, nothing unusual here. What are you, what are you beefed up about? Uh, or whatever. You know, that's military jargon, I guess. <laughs> and later, these military bases and the government would change their story. So that's a little bit of foreshadowing. This is where we can see a little bit of that telephone game you're alluding to, Matt, and how quickly things got out of hand. So we said the event happened, eh, let's call it mid-March. It did not become national news or even general knowledge until June 18, 1997, when USA Today put out a story with the headline, Skies, Phone Lines, Light Up Arizona, on their front page. Misinformation was already spreading like wildfire. Many people weren't sure exactly what they saw. Some time had passed. That means they were in a suggestible state. And we have a pretty accurate uh, reenactment of how those kind of question-answer sessions can go. So who wants to be the researcher? Who wants to be the witness? Researcher? Sure. Would you say it looked like a craft? Well, I don't know. It happened so fast. Perhaps it had a rough shape, a a triangle, a boomerang. I guess so, maybe. Boom, cut and print. (laughs) That's all it takes. The witness saw a boomerang. (laughs) Yeah, exactly, because now we have have a a witness who is very clearly not trying to, like, trick anybody, not out to get any money or, you know, be on TV or whatever. They're they're honestly thinking, well, I, I, I... yeah, I guess it could have been uh, yeah. a boomerang or something like that. I thought that was very well acted. Can I can I point out really quick? I really miss headlines like "skies, phones light up Arizona." Yeah, it's just good economy of language, you know. The British are great at it. Very good. The, <laughs> I I uh, I've got to send you those compendiums of brilliant headlines that are like that. Well, some of them are very dirty puns, but I'll send it along. The question here now becomes. What actually happened up there 22 years ago, Phoenix, Arizona, 1997? We'll tell you after a word from our sponsors. 
When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. So tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand, temp to hire part time or full time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop. Podcast producer? Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With their easy to use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snag a Job is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 2424. Two four to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward, inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Here's where it gets crazy. Let's roll out the theories, guys. What do you say? Let's dive into Okay, let's dive into it. UFOs. Okay, sure. So the first thing that we can absolutely confirm is that something that was illuminated was in the sky on that night. Something definitely happened. Yes. yes. Point. Checkpoint. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, for, for real. Because a lot of times when you were thinking about these kinds of things, you have one or two witnesses, right? Or, you know, a small handful of witnesses. And you have to, just by critical, you know, by the by the way of thinking about these things critically, you have to question the veracity of a witness statement, right? Sure. In this case, you still have to do that to an extent, but you have so many people seeing it mm-hmm. that we can confirm that something was in the sky, something occurred. And there was video documentation mm-hmm. and, and uh, photo- uh, photography. There were a lot of photographs oh. of that night. Now, here is where we bring in our friend Kurt Russell. Okay. Lay it on me. Okay. So on a talk show, British talk show years ago, I think it was around the time that Guardians of the Galaxy 1 or 2 was coming out. I can't remember he exactly. He was in 2. Okay, so no, – Gar- He was in 1 too, but he was really prominent in 2. Well, Guardians of the Galaxy was occurring. Kurt Russell is on a British talk show. He's sitting next to Chris Pratt and the uh, the presenter brings up – the Phoenix Lights. He just starts telling the story of the Phoenix Lights. And Kurt Russell answers – it wasn't even a question or anything. Kurt Russell just responds by saying, I know exactly what that was because I was the pilot that 
that actually uh, called this in when he was coming into the airport. What? And he tells a story about how he was taking his son. He had just gotten his pilot's license. He was taking his son Oliver to go see a friend out in Phoenix, and he was flying out there. And as he's approaching uh, to land, he sees these six lights, and he makes a report and describes them. He says, well, yes, they're unidentified. They're six lights. You don't have them on your radar. Well, then that's odd. I'm just letting you know. And then he lands and goes about his day. But uh, fairly odd that someone as prominent as Kurt Russell ends up being, you know, mm. a, a pretty major witness to this phenomenon. Is well, this it, confirmable is, in any way? It is. He he has talked about it. He actually named the um, what is it? The call not the call sign, but the tower or it's the the tail number or whatever of the uh, plane. Like I he see. calls out exactly what it was. Like that's so cool. So he said he saw the plane and could even see the tail. No, he knew it because he was the pilot. Oh no, his plane. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that makes sense. I mean, uh, to me, it's not that weird because this is this is post big trouble in Little China. <laughs> Where everything changed for him, you know? It's true, and he's just flying around mm-hmm. and just seeing UFOs. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you stare into the abyss, man. Oh. Uh, so technically, it's absolutely true. For several months, the Phoenix Lights were inarguably, regardless of how you feel about quote-unquote aliens, they were UFOs. People had multiple often contradictory ideas about what could have been up there. Some of these ideas were more plausible than others, some much more plausible than others. But the point is no one was completely sure. UFOlogists hit the scene very quickly. And when they investigated this story, they found wildly varying descriptions of the lights, especially, this is again important, as time wound on. Descriptions included things that you had mentioned earlier, Matt, huge boomerang-shaped aircraft, luminous globes, one of my favorites, spinning disco balls. Uh, Maybe those guys were already out partying uh, with some hallucinogens or something, in which case they had an amazing night. It reminds me of descriptions of chariots of fire in Mm. in ancient writings of having our understanding of technology in current time attempting to explain what we're seeing that is of a technology of a further advanced time. Yeah. That's just at least the image I get. I'm not saying that's what I think it is. Eric Von Daniken. Yeah. Yes. Love to drop that name. It's true. Uh, Furthermore, ufologists believe still that the story goes much deeper than the two events that were reported. They often also insist the events are either related or the same phenomenon and that the attempt to separate these events is uh, either misguided or purposefully misleading. UFO researchers say that before the lights were seen over Phoenix, they were spotted near Henderson, Nevada, and then afterwards they were spied in Mexico. And then they also say some people had strange reactions to the light, encountering temporary amnesia or reacting uh, in an oddly unemotional way. Like they they saw the lights, they stopped the car, no one said anything as they watched them in silence. And then when it was over, instead of going, holy smokes, what was that? They said, all right, well, Denny's closes at 10, so (laughs) get back on the road. Um, I just want to point out really fast that Henderson, Nevada is very close to Las Vegas. It's on the outskirts and it's to the northwest of uh, Phoenix. Great. So like if you're imagining that line of travel down from generally Las Vegas, it's that same direction that it was reported earlier. That's perfect. We need to orient ourselves geographically. Let's bring in the professionals, uh, the the professional non-governmental UFO observers. Uh, let's, let's introduce MUFON because they got involved in this, right? Boy, do they ever. So uh, you know how much I love a good acronym. So MUFON, or the Mutual UFO Network, is a U.S.-based nonprofit organization that we have talked about many times on this show, uh, made up of civilian volunteers who study alleged UFO sightings. MUFON is not officially persuaded that this was an extraterrestrial event at all. And I would think they'd be the first ones to be like, you know, yes, we need more confirmed UFO accounts. Uh, So I'd love to hear what their argument is. And here it is thus. Quote, do we have evidence that it was an extraterrestrial event, Mufon said, in the form of their investigator, Jim Mann? Uh, we have evidence that it was an extremely bizarre event, but we can't put a label on it other than that it was an anomaly. 
uh, man then added that Arizona MUFON investigated 325 cases of reported UFOs last year, and the majority were explained. Twelve uh, were filed away as unknown. And that would be – last year for that would be 2018. One thing, you know, MUFON is is not a perfect organization. It has its fair share of critics, uh, especially given – some of the political infighting and allegations of racism within the ranks. But when it comes to their analyses of these different reports, they are, from what we can tell, and again, Paul, Matt, Noel, and myself, we are not members of MUFON, but it seems like they would rather know the truth. So if they investigate something and they have a plausible, you know, weather balloon explanation, then they'll take it if it seems true. And that's respectable. We were at a – God, it wasn't that long ago. We were at yeah. a MUFON meeting, not – I don't even know when it was. Was it 2018 or 2017? One of those years. I'm pretty 20, sure it was 2018. 2018. It must have been 2018. Time moves so strangely now. But uh, what we saw in that meeting were individual investigators coming up and giving their reports about all the research they'd done on specific sightings. And Mm -hmm. it was fascinating to see how much care was put in by, you know, each individual member who like who knows exactly what they put in. But at least the people that we witnessed, uh, the effort is there. Yeah, and it seemed a very productive meeting. I was – I enjoyed it. Uh, there were, of course, maybe a couple of more eccentric people. Yeah. Uh, but that can happen almost in any free public gathering. I mean, right? we were there. Yeah, we were there. Uh, <laughs> that was one thing I was thinking about. And I, I have a question for any ufologist in the in the listening audience today. How do you feel about people who seem quote-unquote too eccentric for a meeting? Do you think it is important that they have a space – to speak, or do you think that they uh, discredit the overall investigations? I don't know. I don't have a. I don't have a, a badger in this bag or a horse in this race. But I, I would be interested to hear what people have to say, especially if you have attended many such conferences or meetings. So that's not where the conspiracy theories end. Some people say, no, of course, these aren't aliens. This is just a cash grab by people who want to bilk the credulous. It's much worse. These are, these are uh, man-made events, but they're not made by the government you recognize. They're made by a different government, a deeper government, a deep state, something we would call a new world order. Some fringe researchers active in NWO research believe that the second event was sort of a red herring. They claim the military at Fort Huachuca south of Tucson, Arizona, actually dropped flares and that those created the, you know, what seemed to be that second event with the lights. And they did this to confuse people and hide evidence of a psychological warfare test that created indistinct shapes in the night sky. You'll love this, Matt via some sort of holographic projection device. Whoa, we're getting into Bluebeam territory here. Watch out. That is my favorite. Well, you know, the other thing is they would have known that there would be a lot of people out looking at the sky because there was a weather phenomenon or a a space weather phenomenon that was going on where there was going to be a meteor shower. Hail bop, right? Yeah, and a comet. And it's... You know, if they were going to do some kind of psychological research, it would have been a great night to choose. That is true. That is true. And then we bring in the the Heaven's Gate strand to this web. Uh, that is the that is the religious movement, often called a cult, uh, that was convinced they would be able to leave their corporeal forms and travel uh, to their religion's paradise via the Hale Bop comet. Uh, if they took their own lives, which is unfortunately what happened. Maybe a story all its own. So add that to the mix. Maybe that's where the psychological warfare aspect is is kind of coming into play. But the issue here for New World Order stuff is still one of motivation. Why go to all this trouble? If you are a very powerful, shadowy, paragovernmental cabal, what would you have to gain by pulling a stunt like this? You know, is it is it just bragging rights? Walk up and kind of, you know, uh, swing your business around at the Bilderberg conference. <laughs> God, it's so weird. I can imagine. I mean, if I really put on my tinfoil hat just uh, to to see, 
I, I can imagine it being a test to see how the public is going to react to a mass scale um, vision in the sky like this, no matter what people are seeing, right? Um, mm. If they're – so I guess the motivation would be if we were to fake an alien invasion of some sort, how would the human beings on the ground react? Yeah, and how would we how would we propagate it most effectively? Yeah. So these are questions that currently do not have answers everyone can agree on. Uh, we would like to point out our Blue Beam episode, if you want to learn more <laughs> about that. It is a fascinating story, and it's one of those that feels a little bit less impossible each time you think about it, especially given the recent breakthroughs in imaging technology. But – so far, we have been talking primarily about motivations or uh, explanations that exist in the heavens. We're going to pause for a word from our sponsor and then return with a bit of a more, let's call it an earthly explanation. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. So tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Snagajob is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand, temp to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer? Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. All right, we're back. And while we're back, let's go back to Tony Ortega, who we mentioned earlier. Ortega, who uh, is a journalist and has, has reported this for some local papers, believes that he has arrived at solid explanations for both of the events over Arizona that evening. First, that infamous V formation. The one that happened in around 8, 830. Right. So Ortega spoke with a young man who had a 10-inch Dobsonian telescope. 
This kid was named Mitch Stanley. He spotted the V from his backyard, and he was able to see close enough that he could discern it was a formation of airplanes. He used a magnification of 60X that more or less puts him 60 times closer to the V than people who were viewing it unaided. And he said he could see each light in the sky was actually a double with one light under each squarish wing. The planes looked small in his scope, and that suggests they were flying at a very high altitude, which comes into play later, but he did not know what type of plane they were. There was no doubt, he said, that these were definitely planes. He doubled down on that. And if you look at some of the video footage that was captured on that night in 1997, it looks like people are talking about this big black V, right, or the the boomerang. It looks in some of those videos like there is blacked out sky with a light in the center of it, and that occurs six individual times kind of in a formation. And, And again, there are numerous videos that you can see online of this. To me, to my eyes, that's what it looks like. I can imagine if it really were six individual planes with the wings going out in the way they do in that V formation, they're going to overlap enough where the, you know, the blacked out sky behind those wings, it's going to look like it's connected. Mm -hmm. And if you've got highly experienced pilots, particularly those who are in a military flying in a formation, it's going to be so rigid and flying, you know, with – with um, such regularity with that formation that I can imagine as it's going overhead or something, mm-hmm. you would visualize the entire thing as one. Oh, yeah, totally. I could see that. I just want to put that out there. Mm-hmm. Well, what about the second event? Ortega has an explanation for that too, right? Yeah, it's true. Um, this was seen as a string of flares dropped by the Maryland Air National Guard over the North Tack military range. And Ortega writes on this one, uh, the problem developed later when people conflated reports of the two sightings, like we mentioned earlier. For the many people who had seen the earlier V pass directly over their heads, the explanation of the flares made absolutely no sense whatsoever. News organizations didn't differentiate between the two events or report on the Stanley identification. That's perfect because that that's one of the key pieces in this story. So USA Today, right, and uh, a couple of other outlets, they just report this stuff, hit the UFO angle hard and don't differentiate between the things. That doesn't mean that they're guilty of purposely trying to mislead people just to the point we mentioned earlier. You're asking people what happened after the fact, and it's very plausible for them to assume the same thing was occurring. The military and government, as we mentioned, they originally said, nope, nothing to see here. Move along. Mosey on down out of the way. Uh, They later came forward and changed their story. You see, Phoenix has two Air Force bases pretty near the city. And Tucson Weekly eventually broke the news that the Maryland Air National Guard was in Arizona for winter training, and they had a squad of A-10 fighters over the gunnery range that night. These fighters had dropped flares. An Arizona National Guard uh, PR officer, or public information officer, PIO, named Captain Eileen Behans, had determined that the flares were dropped at Get this, 10 p.m. over the North Tack Range, 30 miles southwest of Phoenix, at a pretty high altitude, 15,000 feet. So they would be falling in the air for a long time. Another thing happened. Local governments came forward. Then incumbent Arizona Governor Fife Symington, I love that name, Fife Symington, thought People were being too uptight about this and taking it too seriously, so he arranged a joke press conference. He had a lot of UFO jokes in his speech. He even had one of his poor aides come up on stage in an alien costume, and he was like, all right, everybody calm down. You know, let's just have a good time out here in Arizona. (laughs) But then later on, a few years, as the years passed, he pulled a total 180. Oh, yeah. He he told the story about how, oh, uh, I actually saw something on that night. I was mentioning that there's a, a thing called Squaw Peak there near the middle of Phoenix. He's the guy, at least from the reporting that I read, he's the person who said, yes, I saw something come over Squaw Peak and it was like that V formation. It was the lights like that. And that's right in the middle of Phoenix, in the Phoenix area. 
Um, and he apologized and he was just like, Hey, yeah, um, my bad. Um, the, uh, the lights are a great mystery that couldn't have been flares because it was too symmetrical according to his own eyewitness account of it, even though he made fun of it. Interesting. Huh. Preaching to the converted, I guess. Interesting. Wow. Mm-hmm. Well, ultimately what it sounds like is a politician that was afraid of, you know, ridicule. Because we do know that there was a, I believe, a city council member who brought it up in a meeting. Mm -hmm. And then for the next months and months and months, she was just made fun of relentlessly at her office and in public. Right, right. And this remains a divisive topic for people in the area or UFOlogists versus skeptics today, you know. Skeptics, for their part, are quick to point out that with a few notable exceptions, the majority of witnesses were watching, again, with the naked eye, stationary positions on the ground so they can be easily fooled into inaccurate estimates of very important factors like size, altitude, and speed. But uh, for the ufologist, there is uh, one big advantage, uh, at least in terms of rhetoric and argument. They can say, well, it wouldn't be the first time that the government did something sketchy and then lied about it. It's absolutely true. Uh, you know, the only, the only comeback you have for that is to say that doesn't mean that this is one of those cases, right? Uh, just because a car has driven through um, Bedford, Massachusetts doesn't mean that all cars drive through Bedford, Massachusetts. True. Very true. I'm, I'm phrasing that in an awkward way, but but it's interesting. And now it brings us to the conclusion. We have to ask, what do what do you think? Let's walk through it. Let's say, and let's just speculate here. Let's say that the the most out there conspiracy theories are correct. That in March of 1997, extraterrestrials or extra dimensional entities or time travelers or whatever came to the Phoenix, Arizona area and did a flyover. Thousands of people saw it. Why would they do that? They didn't know where they were. They were lost. They were trying to find Hollywood. And Uh, they saw the lights of uh, Las Vegas. And they made a pass over Las Vegas because they saw the pyramid down there, the Luxor. And they were like, oh, uh, well, this is obviously, you know, this is the ancient shape. They've, you know, paid homage to us. Oh, wait a second. What's going on down there? They did a scan. (laughs) They realized it was people, you know, just throwing their money into slot machines. And they went, oh, geez, that's not where we're supposed to be. Let's keep going down the the path here. They went over Phoenix and they were like, eh. And they kept going. (laughs) Sorry, everybody in Phoenix. (laughs) And then uh, they finally, they made it uh, down down Mexico way and they just stayed. They just stayed there because they really liked it. I mean, you know, we've all been there, right? Yeah. But at least in the state of mind, in a Mexico state of mind. Okay, that's one idea. Um, Okay, let's say what if it was U.S. military craft? Why and how would they do this? Well, currently, this seems to be the most solid explanation, but there's one big gap in the story, one that rightly bothers a lot of people. We don't know for sure where the craft originated. Nobody requested the radar information from the FAA, Federal Aviation Administration, within two weeks. The records for this kind of stuff are usually deleted within that two-week span. So we'll never know exactly where those planes came from outside of, you know, these statements of journalists and statements from the military. The mystery remains. Uh, I've got something to point out here with the whole explanation of the military craft being A-10 fighters. Do you guys know what an A-10 fighter is? Noel, have you, are you familiar with that? No. It's, they're generally referred to as a warthog. Yeah. Have you, have you ever heard one of these? You've heard them in military movies. I they're wonder if super ben, loud. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was picturing. I'm assuming, Ben, is, have you actually witnessed one of those? Yeah. So I, I wonder if we can play a quick sound for you, if we can find one. If we did find one, it's going to be right here. The A-10 Warthog is a loud jet fighter plane. So look it up in your time if you have a moment. Yeah. Um, Imagine six of those flying in formation. Even if they're at high altitude, you're going to hear them. And a lot of these reports were it was silent craft. Well, also we have to to point out that 
there are people who have problems with that report too, the idea that they were silent. True. Because as loud as something is, you get it high enough in the air, it's going to be beyond the bound of human hearing. Sometimes. You're right. You're right. You're absolutely right. And again, we don't know. (sighs) We can't accurately judge the... The altitude, right? And we we also cannot confirm whether or not it was the quote-unquote A-10 warthog sighting or mm-hmm. the flare sighting because the flares would be nice and silent. Right. Oh, nice. Very good point. We hope you enjoy this episode. We're, we're presenting what we found to be the facts as well as what we found to be the um, – the more controversial claims, as always, your decision is your own. We don't want to tell you what to think, but we darn sure want to hear what you think about it. Uh, and w- there is one interesting thing I found that I thought might be useful to some of us listening in the Phoenix area. There is a Phoenix Lights Festival. Uh, aliens or not, it seems like one heck of a party. Since 2015, it's given the Valley's electronic dance music scene a signature event to call its own. I've looked at some pictures from the party, and while you probably won't meet a legit extraterrestrial, you're going to have some interesting encounters. Some eccentric individuals will make their way to you. You'll have some memorable events. That's right. Uh, And you'll never see me there. Why not? Just because I I can't dance. Oh, it's a, it's EDM, man. You don't have to dance. Just very Phil Collins about it. <laughs> uh, furthermore, regardless of what you think, mundane or something more, the Phoenix Lights have captured the imaginations of millions of people over the past more than two decades, including a ton of people in Hollywood, not just Kurt Russell. Oh, sure. I mean, the phenomenon was a key plot point uh, for the uh, uh, hugely uh, influential found footage horror film, Phoenix Forgotten, which mm-hmm. uh, at this point has has been forgotten largely. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I I was not aware of it in the first place. Did you guys see it? I have not seen it. I've it, not seen it. Apparently, it came out last year. I've seen yeah. trailers for it. It, I mean, honestly, it looks like a Blair Witch movie based on the Phoenix Lights being the main occurrence, and that's why right these on. people try and figure out what's going on. And Found then, footage films are so tricky. Blair Witch was great. Chronicle was great. If you remember that one, yeah. Uh, That's where the kids get destructive telekinetic powers from uh, an object from space. I actually haven't seen that one, and it's been on my watch list for I don't even know how many years. I'd be really interested to see what you think because they do pretty well with found footage. But there's one last note. UFO sightings, as I had mentioned earlier, are fairly common in the Phoenix area, and there are reports of strange lights in the desert sky multiple times every single year. But it goes a little bit further. According to the Washington Post, Arizona has the highest number of UFO sightings per capita in the entire United States of America. So if there's anything uh, where – if there's any situation where something like the Phoenix Lights would occur again, it would be Arizona just statistically. If you're really interested in this stuff, we recommend looking up someone named Lynn Katai. She made a documentary about the subject. She wrote a book. You can find a lot of links uh, in other reporting if you search for her. For her. Lynn Katai, again, um, K-I-T-E-I, I believe. Yes. It's some interesting stuff. I don't know. We'd love to know what you think. So find us. Talk to us. On Facebook, we are at Conspiracy Stuff, and we have a page there called Here's Where It Gets Crazy, where you can talk about this episode and any other episode. You can give us suggestions uh, for future topics, anything you want us to talk about. Hey, do us thing for us. Uh, we'd really appreciate it if you'd go to whatever podcast platform of choice that you consume this show on and leave us a nice review, uh, especially Apple Podcasts, because that's a big, helpful way for people to discover the show. You can also find us on our personal Instagrams or Twitter. I am at Ben Bolin on Instagram and at Ben Bolin HSW on Twitter. And you can find me on Instagram at HowNowNoelBrown. And just to remember something here in my notes that I just didn't even look at, that uh, Phoenix City Councilwoman or former Phoenix City Councilwoman, her name was Frances Barwood. And she was a, she was the first public official to actually discuss the Phoenix Lights in a public setting. 
where she literally was just like, hey, uh, so what was that thing? And uh, what what is it? And uh, the council people around her were making fun of her and all those things. Anyway, you can look it up. You can learn more. Go ahead and do it. If you don't want to do any of that stuff, well, you can also, what can you do? Can you call a number? We have a number, don't we? Yes, it is 1-833-STDWYTK. You don't like using phones? Maybe you exist uh, in some sort of cloud of sentient uh, goo. Goo can exist in cloud form. Um, Then you could probably still find your way into writing an email. There must be a way. We are. Conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Attention, true crime enthusiast. Searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals, your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Dealing with pests can be a pain, but relax, Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. If your home or business has pests, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com.